0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, as I said earlier, today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent, as uh, many of you know, and you've heard already this morning, is a season of expectation, of anticipation, of preparation before um, the coming of Christ at Christmas. during this time of year and other times of year, we get our scripture texts from the Revised Common Lectionary, which is very simply a collection of uh, texts, four for each week of the year, all year round for three years. There's a cycle. We just started last week with year A. There's year A, B, and C. So we just started again. Last week was the first year. It was the, the new year, New Year's Day on the Christian calendar. Advent starts a new year. And... Um, so there's four assigned texts each week uh, when we use the lectionary, and we like to be exposed to those, even though we don't always get a teaching from them. We heard a passage read by Jesse from Isaiah earlier. There's not going to be a teaching from that. Um, hopefully, Scripture speaks into your life on its own uh, by the power of the Spirit and so forth. Um, but one thing you should know, usually when we're doing lectionary texts, I tell you, just Google the Revised Common Lectionary, or just the word lectionary, and you will find the text that we're using, and please read them devotionally. This year, for this season of Advent, we um, monkeyed with it a little bit. We tinkered with it and changed the order of some of the texts. We're still going to get all 16 readings in the four weeks of Advent, but they're in a different order. So, if you are reading along devotionally, which I encourage you to do, instead of Googling the lectionary this time, I would like you to go to our website, artisanschurch.com, click on the image that looks like this one. It'll take you to our Advent series, and in the list of sermons, you can click a link that will take you to the texts for the week. Does that make sense? So please be doing that. I'm trying to remember to put it on our Facebook page and Twitter page. So if you're not following us on Facebook or Twitter, you should probably do that um, right now, and um, you'll get that update throughout the week. So um, the other thing that we're doing is these Advent Beyond Our Walls Advent spiritual practices. Our theme for the year is Beyond Our Walls, Living Our Faith When We're Not in This Room. And uh, Jesse helped me come up with these really great... Actually, he didn't help me. He just did it. Uh, came up with these great spiritual practices. One of them this past week was um, to make an Advent playlist and listen through it. And we got a lot of feedback on Facebook when we put that out there. Some great, great songs. Very Adventy songs. Not necessarily um, ones from the Christian music um, machine either. Some really good suggestions. This week, um, one of them is to watch an apocalyptic end-of-the-world type of movie. And reflect on that spiritually. So that's the kind of thing you get. I'm going to put those right there. Please take one of those when you come for communion. And even if you're not taking communion, you're welcome to take one of those. Those are also linked to, a PDF of that is also linked to from our website. So um, with all that stuff out of the way. During Advent, we're thinking about three comings of Christ. There's the most obvious one, which is the coming of Christ as a little baby. The story, you know, Linus with the blanket and um, all that stuff, right? We'll get to that in the fourth week. That's actually the last week of Advent. Um next week which is the third week of advent we're going to talk about this the way that Christ comes into our own lives as individuals as a community but as individuals. So that's two comings of Christ and then the, th- the third one uh which is what we're going to talk about today is actually the second coming which is very confusing it's the third one but it's the second one. The term second coming of course just refers to the um the fact that Jesus will come again to make all things new and to judge the world and and uh all of that stuff. Um so that's kind of the, the way we're approaching this, this season. Um, and by the way, Christmas Eve is going to be a hoot. That is the uh, theological term for what Christmas Eve will be. Um, 5 p.m., we have our big Christmas service with readings and music. And for the first time ever, uh, can I say the P word? A Christmas pageant. Our little kids are going to reenact the story. It's going to be amazing. And I think most of you are going to want to come to that one. So what I've done this year is instead of doing a, a similar thing at 11 p.m., 11, there's going to be an 11.30 service. It's going to get us to midnight. It's truly going to be a midnight service, but it's very informal. Kind of a jam session. Bring instruments. We'll sing Christmas carols together. We'll um, toast Christmas at midnight together. So bring something that's appropriate for you to use as a toast. Um, you know what that would be for you. Um, if you're coming to that one, feel free to bring an instrument or not going to be very informal. Probably circle up and, and have a great time. So that's Christmas Eve. As I said, it's going to be a hoot. Um, so this week is the second coming of Christ. I'd like to begin today with the reading from the epistle, the, the New Testament reading. And once again, I'm a terrible pastor and have forgotten to bring a Bible with me to preach. Doug knew I was going to do this again, so he had one ready. This is the book of James, chapter 5, and if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, it's page 982 on these red Bibles. I don't know what page it is in your Bible if you brought one. Presumably, if you're smart enough to bring your own Bible, you're smart enough to find James, chapter 5. I would encourage you to bring your own, by the way, as long as it's, you know, not going to be collecting dust every other day of the week, it'd be nice to read these texts in the in the piece that you usually use to study, whether it's a printed or a Kindle or whatever. If you don't have one, please take one of these red ones home with you. This is James 5, verses 7 through 10. Be patient, therefore. And already we have to stop, don't we? What's the rule? What is the therefore, therefore? Have I ruined you with this? Like, whenever you go anywhere or read anything that says therefore, does it like, oh, shoot. What is the therefore, therefore? Therefore is one of those words that tells us what it's about to say depends on what he just said. So it's really not fair to start there. So I'd like to begin actually with with verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Why did we have to go back? Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. Why did we have to go back? You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. This is some 99% stuff here, isn't it? You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. So, this previous section is a a promise of judgment for the oppressors. Now, Christianity started uh, as a movement of Judaism and it was taken up by the peasant class significantly, not just the peasant class, that's a myth, there were a lot of wealthy Christians early on, uh, and, and, well, enough anyway, and James um, may have been speaking to them, but as I read this, I imagine the early Christians reading this and going, yeah, <laughs> those oppressors are going to get what's coming to them, God is going to judge them, red meat for the oppressed to hear this kind of thing spoken to the oppressors, isn't it? The early Christians were definitely being persecuted and uh, they were probably probably enjoyed this kind of text, I would, I would guess. Some of them may have been um, taken aback by it. But I think most of them would have heard these words and thought about somebody else. Okay? But it's not just the oppressors who should be worried. So let's read the main passage starting with With verse 7. Now, because of all I've just said, be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So here James is saying that the judgment is not just for the oppressors, but it's also going to be coming for the ones who may feel oppressed, for the Christians. Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. The judge is at the door. Jesus is the one who knocks. Right? So, there's a tension here. On the one hand, there's hope that someday in the future all the pain and strife will be over and that, that God will prevail, that, that evil and evildoers will be eliminated and punished. And on the other hand, there's a fear that the same judgment might await us too if we're not careful. This tension between hope and fear. Is at the heart of what Advent means to us when we are thinking about the second coming. You know, we talk a lot about waiting and expectancy and anticipation during Advent, and and we should. There's good reason for that. But I think sometimes it's just like, ooh, I can't wait for Christmas morning when I'll have my sugar plums and the presents and all that stuff. It's a spiritual version of that, right? So we're like little kids waiting for Christmas and all the good gifts that come with it. Yes, there are. But there's also a sense that what we are waiting for may not turn out to look exactly like we want it to. may not turn out to be as peaceful and sweet-smelling as we hope. It's no wonder then that James said beloved strengthen your hearts now i want you to notice something else in this passage it's fairly subtle but did you see what looks like i don't know i don't want to be cautious about using this particular word but what looks like an error on the part of the author about the timing of things given that we're 2000 years approximately later than the writing of this text, which said, among other things, the coming of the Lord is near, and uh, unless we're much mistaken, the Lord has not yet returned, the second coming has not yet happened. That kind of expectation is also present in the letters of Paul in the New Testament. I alluded to that last week and I kind of tossed it off and that really wasn't fair. I probably shouldn't say things like that so offhandedly. Sorry about that. But when we read this kind of thing in the New Testament, it seems very clear that they expected Jesus to come back soon, like in their lifetimes. And so the temptation, I think, is to look back and say, Well, they expected that, and it didn't happen, so this whole thing is bunkus. Is that a word? Bunk. uh, Unreliable. False. And the consequence of that, I think, is twofold. We have these dual losses, because we might lose hope, and we might also lose that fear. Fear. And when you have neither hope nor fear and you're kind of just drifting in the middle, that's not a good place to be. There is nothing, there is no tension pulling your life in any direction if you have neither hope nor fear. You're just adrift. If the second coming isn't imminent after all, who cares? I'll oppress people, I'll just wallow in my own oppression. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. But hold on, because there is one more passage left from our lectionary texts today. It's the gospel passage, the reading from that book which describes the story of Jesus. And uh, again, we're in a traditional time of year, so I'd like to ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel. This is another tradition of the church. And it's Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Jesus speaking here. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. By the way, have you seen the trailer for the Aronofsky-Noah film that's coming up? Boy, if you have not you should check it out. It looks pretty um, spectacular in the true meaning of that word. And it, I, I love when capable filmmakers take on stories of the Bible, even if they don't do it exactly like, you know, like maybe we would have with the same theological biases and so forth. Because it, it's something about that medium that helps. Like when I was reading that stuff with Noah, I could just see... The, the scenes from that trailer which are really really spectacular but right out of the gate Jesus says what about that hour and he's by the way but is another one of those words therefore but he's talking about heaven and earth will pass away and, and so forth but at the, about that hour no one knows neither the angels of heaven nor who the sun he's saying I don't even know even Jesus himself did not know the hour of his return. So I think that offers a little bit of an explanation about you know, the fact that the epistle writers don't seem to get it quite right. At least they have some expectations that aren't totally met. Nobody knew. Let that be a caution to you whenever you hear anybody saying that they know they're wrong <laughs> I mean a blind squirrel and a nut and all that stuff maybe they're right maybe it's uh, you know eight reasons Jesus is coming back in 88 or whatever that, that book was um, or any of the ones that came before or have come since right just put that nonsense away it's, it's, it's a bad idea to even try When I was growing up, this passage, the thief in the night thing, was used uh, primarily as a a tool to terrify teenagers. (laughs) Ah, some of you grew up in the church too, didn't you? Right? Not only were we frequently reminded that Jesus could come back at any time and probably it was going to be tonight, but we were also reminded... Of the fact that we could die at any moment, and it wasn't a, it was not a subtle reminder. I remember even at one Youth Retreat, having to watch this this film about these teenagers, and of course they 're partying and you know carousing and and, uh, and then they get in this violent car crash. Did anybody else see this film on the way home? And then they immediately have this, Ooh, it was like, these, like this uh, late 80s special effects stuff um, uh, on a Christian budget. Um, <laughs> so you can imagine how bad it was, you know. Um, they might as well just left the green screen up behind them. Um, <laughs> wow, judgment is really green. Um and it's like this robotic Jesus that came out to judge it was just so bad it was designed to scare us into giving our hearts to the Lord that night it's amusing now but I think it's reprehensible actually um, you know this <laughs> it's like a Christian reefer madness um, laughter I've sort of made an an unspoken promise to myself as a pastor that I I won't use fear as a tactic um, in calling people to respond to the gospel. But I also have to be honest to the text. That's an even higher calling for me. And looking at a passage like this one that we just read, the words of Jesus, thief in the night, etc., It seems to me that maybe the Lord doesn't necessarily want us to be all that comfortable all the time. Keep awake, therefore. How does that make you feel to hear that passage, to hear that phrase, keep awake, therefore? Does it stir in you any kind of spiritual angst? Does it give you a little bit of a healthy fear? I want to read to you two brief selections from the early church, the masters of the church, two uh, bishops, actually, who were writing about this very passage that you've just heard from from Matthew's gospel. The first one is um, from Hilary of Poitiers. Not Sydney, but Hilary. Writing about Matthew 24... When Christ taught us that no one knows the day on which the end of time will come, not even the angels and not even himself, he removed from us any need to be concerned about its date. O immeasurable mercy of divine goodness. And this one from Origen. All who listen to the depths of the gospel and live it so completely that none of it remains veiled from them, care very little about whether the end of the world will come suddenly and all at once or gradually and little by little. Instead, they bear in mind only that each individual's end or death will arrive on a day and hour unknown to him or her, and that upon each one of us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Do you hear any fear in those words from Hilary, and from Origen? Not a speck. Quite the contrary, actually. Both of them seem rather relieved. Hillary and Origen found peace in their time. And you can find peace in your time, too. Not complacency about the very real and present evil and pain in our world. But inner peace. The removal of that fear. Your peace and my peace comes from the same source, the same wellspring that, that their peace came from. I think it comes from complete trust in the risen Christ. Christ if you read or hear these passages about the second coming of Christ and they instill in you more fear than hope, that is probably an indication that you need to uh, allow God to do some work in you. And soon, I mean, I'm not going to show you the movie with the car crash, but soon, like probably now, would be a good idea. Christ said, keep awake And some of you have, I think, just been woken up by his Holy Spirit, and you're kind of wondering what to do. Keep awake, therefore. James said, strengthen your hearts. And some of you are now more acutely aware of how weak your heart really is. But one of the most important truths of the Christian faith is that we are ultimately unable to take care of these things, these spiritual needs, ourselves. You can't keep awake by an act of will. That's true for, like, like, physical wakefulness, by the way, as we've all learned. One way or another, studying for a test or driving on the throughway late at night, you can only get so far by an act of will. The same is true for this spiritual wakefulness. You can't just tell your heart to be strong. Some of us have, have, have learned this in a painful way physically, um, personally, or in, 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 the, in the, the, the beating heart of one of our loved ones. You can't just tell your heart to be strong. That's true spiritually as well. These things require trust, they require release, they require surrender. In short, they require faith. I had a discussion this week um, with an atheist friend about what faith means, and he said that he thought it meant convincing yourself to believe something that you don't actually know to be true. And I empathized with that definition because if I were an atheist, that's what I would think faith was too, but I'm not an atheist and I have a very different definition of faith. Some of you have heard it before. It's not the absence of doubt. The absence of doubt would be certainty. We are not saved by certainty, we're saved by faith. Faith, to me, really is trust in the person of Jesus. It really is release and surrender and trust that he is who he said he was, that the stories about him are true with a capital T and that he is our salvation. So I want to encourage you now, if, if you've been unsettled by any of this stuff, the second coming stuff or any of the other stuff I've talked about, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer of surrender, a prayer of release, a prayer of faith to Jesus. Um, you know, uh, I'll pray a version of that for all of us because I think even those of us who have walked in faith for years need to revisit this concept um, continually. I want to pause, though, after doing that for a moment of silence because it may be that some of you need to put that prayer of faith and trust into your own words, perhaps for the first time. And I want to give you a moment of silence in which to do that in your, in your spirit then I'd encourage you, following that moment, to take communion, which, by the way, is a beautiful and tangible, touchable act of trust in Jesus on its own right. Come to the communion table, and then come to the prayer corner over here as well, um, for prayer with our prayer team, and I'm going to join the prayer team today, and uh, if you'd like me to pray with you, uh, I would be happy to do that. If you'd like our prayer team members to pray with you, that would be wonderful too. Um, whether you're asking for prayer for this exact moment, for this prayer that you're about to pray, maybe for the first time, or with something entirely different, you can pray with whomever's comfortable for you. So let me lead us in a prayer of surrender, of faith, and then I'll give you a moment of silence to pray your own version of that if you would wish. Jesus, we hear your words and um, are struck with a good, healthy spiritual fear. Because we don't know what the future holds in our individual lives or in the life of the entire cosmos. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and the conviction he brings to us in our lives. And Uh, Now we want to, to pray and tell you that we trust in you. That we surrender all of our concerns and fears to you. That we surrender and release all of our doubts, all of our skeptical withholdings to you. Because we trust you and we trust that you are strong enough to bear all of that for us, not only our sin, but our fear and our doubt. We release it to you now Uh, in the quietness of this moment. May your spirit speak to each one of us and do the work and call us to what we need to be called to. Thank you, Jesus, that rescue is coming. Amen. We'll continue to worship in song this morning. The communion table is open. Uh, our prayer station is open. We'll bring some chairs up to, to uh, make space for us to pray together. Respond to the word of God and to the Spirit's leading, however you see fit. Let's continue to worship together. Amen.